Hello and welcome to yet another insightful episode of the Digital Adoption Show, the podcast that explores the ever-evolving landscape of work and technology. Today, we have a dynamic discussion that is sure to transform the way you think about business strategy, learning and development, and sales enablement. We've brought together two industry experts, Bart Schutt and Thomas S. Mittendorf, to dive deep into the art of achieving business excellence through a fusion of L&D and sales enablement strategies. In the rapidly evolving landscape of today's business world, companies are continually seeking innovative approaches to remain competitive. Bart Schutt, the Director for Digital Learning at Saint Gobain, is a visionary in the realm of learning and development. And Thomas S. Mittendorf, the Director of Sales Enablement Training in the Learning and Development Team with Kellogg's, is a seasoned sales enablement specialist. These thought leaders will share their invaluable insights, strategies, and practical tips for optimizing business performance. So grab your notebook, tune in, and get ready to supercharge your business strategy with Bart Shoot and Thomas S. Mittendorf as we explore the fusion of learning and development and sales enablement. Discover how the seamless integration of these two critical elements can enhance your organization's growth, empower your sales team, and ultimately lead to greater success. From do's and don'ts to best practices and real-world examples, this episode promises to be a masterclass in achieving business excellence. Let's dive in. My first guest on today's podcast is Bart Schutt. He's the Director for Digital Learning at Saint Gobain and is a visionary in the realm of learning and development. When asked how Saint Gobain differentiates itself in the manufacturing industry, Bart shared some interesting insights. Well, one of the things that differentiates us is just the wide variety of our products, uh, as well as in general, the fact that they're very local to their market, so they have to be produced locally. So we have many, many different businesses with many, many different constraints, even though largely they're all in the same area, which is building construction materials and uh, high performance materials. I think that's one of the things that makes us different from other manufacturers, you know, like steel manufacturers or, or others is that diversity. I think another thing that differentiates us is uh, very much our internal culture, which uh, is very much one of trust and empowerment. And, you know, I guess I can exemplify that by uh, our, you know, our annual employee uh, engagement survey, where our numbers are always completely different than what you hear in the marketplace. We have a very, very high level uh, of engagement of people. And, I th and I'm pretty convinced personally that that comes from this high level of trust um, that our executives give to everybody and empowerment. Knowing that he is a big proponent of artificial intelligence and machine learning, we asked him why he thinks that there is a certain fear or skepticism with regards to AI in the training world. Well, I know I don't think there is a, a big uh, fear. I think you know, first of all, you hear a lot of the, you know, software vendors continually talking about AI in their products, in, the, in, in their ability to recommend learning to people and personalize. Um, I think amongst L&D people, I haven't particularly heard uh, much, of a, much of, a, of a fear. I think, you know, for my own, per, you know, my own background, we are using machine learning to differentiate it from artificial intelligence, which can sometimes seem magical and scary. Machine learning is, is, is very grounded in, you know, detecting patterns from data in the past to, so that you can make predictions about the future. And, and we use that in, 
in our plants and in our sales and marketing and in our supply chain. You know, I'm very positive about it. I think it tends to get overhyped in the, in the marketplace, but I'm positive about it as a, as a technology that can help, you know, transform uh, Saint-Gobain. And, and I'll take the opportunity to add that, that I'm becoming increasingly convinced that the best and first step that companies can take around that is not as we did towards machine learning for the masses, but visualization. Because what we're saying is that if you can make data visual so that people can see it and so that it expresses the insights that are in that data, people can make much better decisions. And doing visualization is a lot easier than doing machine learning. Bart comes from a technology background, which got us thinking if he looks at training and learning from a different perspective when compared to other L&D leaders. This is what he had to say. I think it is. You know, it comes from my deep understanding of the technology. So on the one hand, I'm not seduced by technology. On the other hand, I can imagine what technology can do in a way that some of my, you know, uh, peers uh, may have trouble doing. Uh, surprisingly, I'm not a big fan of deploying lots of different technologies around our enterprise. I want to have the fewest possible because users always have trouble learning, you know, new technologies and you want the experience to be as, you know, homogenous as possible. But, but so I think it's giving me that, that, that perspective to find the right balance of, of technology for our users. The other thing is because I came from the IT organization within Saint-Gobain, you know, I still have all of my contacts back there and it gave L&D this access into our IT organization that it didn't have before. And it's allowed us to do a lot of things that I know other companies have struggled with. The crux of any organizational development or change management is the people and how they adapt to these changes. Bart had some interesting thoughts on how to get people to change. Thoughts? You know, it's, it's a, a, a really good question. And when we began this project with data and analytics, we did this with McKinsey and McKinsey shared with us a, a change model that they had that, that really resonates with me. It basically says, if you want somebody to change, they have to understand, there are four things that have to happen. They have to understand what's expected of them and, and, and buy into it, right? They have to buy into the change. They have to, you know, so for, in this example, I have to agree as an engineer, that it would be useful for me to learn data analytics. I have to then be given the skills to do it, right? So the training. I have to then, the organization has to support me in what I'm trying to do and not be a barrier. And this is often where our organizational structures get in the way for any sort of transformation. So the organization has to support them in making it easier for them to do the new thing than to do the old thing. And then fourth, and most importantly is, they have to see the people around them doing these new behaviors that are expected of them and especially the senior leadership. And that's the most important point. When I joined Sangabad at the end of 2003, every management meeting would begin by the senior executives going through our health and safety numbers. We had a big focus at that point in time. We still do on health and safety. Every important meeting began by listing what, you know, what those safety numbers were and whether we were improving or regressing. And coming from the outside, it, I immediately understood health and safety was fundamental to Saint-Gobain. And so it needs to be the same way. If data and data analytics are really important to us, 
it has to be something that our senior leaders are talking about all the time and that they're, they're walking the talk in that when they make decisions, they're basing it on data and not on intuition, right? So that's the most important thing that has to happen if you want to get individuals to change. I think it has to come from many dimensions, you know, so for example, we heavily use the, 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 you know, the, the use of champions, you know, across the organization to be sort of on the ground, you know, evangelists about something. But it's critical if I'm not getting the senior leaders to demonstrate, you know, that this is important, then the rest won't really happen. And I guess just on that side of champions, I read an article the other day that was saying that, that uh, you know, in a study of lots of, of programs that you had, to, you had to get your champion network above a certain percentage. I forget what it was, but it was quite substantial in order for it to really have an impact. So that started changing my thinking about how I, how I do this. I have not been building a big enough champion network for some of the things I'm trying to do. Following up on what he said, we thought we'll ask him if he believes that the senior management or mid-level management is where the training community can try to re-emphasize that cultural aspect so that that percolates down. Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, you can try to do things at a grassroots level, but it will only take you so, so far, in my experience. It has to come down from the top. And you're right, several levels down. It's not sufficient if, this, if the CEO is being one way. You have to go down, you know, two, three, four levels. And the people there, those middle-level managers, they have to be practicing it as well. I was thinking about this the other day and, and thinking about what it's like when we change companies and we go into a new company and we, and we have our certain, our, the culture that we carried from the old company. And then we're confronted by the culture of the new company. And uh, there's like a six-month period where there's this, you know, this tension between sort of where you came from and where you're going, regardless of whether one is better than the other. It's just, it's different. And then you become absorbed in the new culture and, and, and you, you know, you forget about it. And well, that, that culture, you can't just like wish it into being, right? It, it, and so it really does come from, from strength and the, you know, the management it has to be ingrained in them. And, you know, if, you know, you can say the right words, but if you're not walking the talk, it doesn't really have any impact. Changing the flow of discussion a little, Bart then spoke about the significance of employee experience in successful digital transformation. Well, you know, it's obviously very important, uh, but, you know, we, we, people approach the employee experience from many different dimensions. You know, there's a lot of talk about learning experience platforms, right? which are all, you know, good and well. But if people aren't coming to the platform to, to find what there is to learn, it doesn't really have much of an impact. In our company, what's really important is that the learning be as close to the moment of need, the on-the-job need as possible. And I'm trying to design all of my programs to really be about real things that I have to get, that, that, that our people have to get done on the ground. And, you know, so, so, so the experience there is more from I, as an employee, I have a need, how quickly and how good is the experience that, that allows me to, you know, get the assistance that I need to, that I need to do what I need to get done and then get it done. And I use the word assistance to not say training because 
it can come from lots of different places. We've deployed teams over the last couple of years, and we have lots of team spaces and Yammer spaces where people can go and, and get very quick answers to, to, to some of their problems or get somebody, you know, somebody can say, I've got to produce a pivot table, you know, and I don't know how to do this. Can somebody help me? And then somebody else can just quickly click on the call now button and they've got a meeting and they share their desktop. And in five minutes, the problem is resolved. You know, as L&D people, encouraging those environments for collaboration and sharing and employees helping employees, I think are, is really important and as important as anything else that, that we're trying to do. We then unpacked the software KPI piece as well in terms of getting budgeting, which is the ROI. It's about employee engagement, cultural alignment, etc. When asked how L&D leaders can work more towards that when building a proposal for a learning technology, on the software KPI piece, Bart had the most insightful answer. Yeah, I'm trying to think about when we were, you know, making the justification for our LMS, which was a significant expenditure. In my particular case, when we were trying to make these investments, we, we didn't have these initial ones, the, the, the LMS and then some, some content. We didn't have too much pushback. But I think it was because we, we had been underinvesting up until then at the group level. And there was this recognition that with digital, we could do a lot more. And uh, also, you know, the LMS was, was supported because it was going to allow us to better track our regulatory um, training and st- things like that. But I remember hearing the um, chief learning officer for AXA say at, a couple of years ago at a conference, the ROI for learning is employee engagement. Which is very, very true, right? I mean, that ultimately, you know, what we offer, the, 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 the paths for development that we offer people is something that builds our employer brand and builds the engagement of our people. But then it's very hard to make that link from there to, you know, some, some payback or what cost is justified. I think it also, you know, the justification tends to be, I would guess, very specific to the, to the company and the specific priorities they've got going and, and their recent history, because there may be some problems they're trying to address. Our last question to Bart was, how can organizations engage their business units in learning and development in order to improve the performance? Let's hear what he had to share. Well, again, it, it just keeps coming back to getting engaged with the business. You know, the identification of the things that we need to do from an L&D point of view come in either two directions. Either one, L&D has the idea and we have to go sell it to the business like we did in our case of data and analytics. Or we go to the business and we say, what are the priorities? And then together we brainstorm what we can do to address that problem. And the latter is, well, both are very effective, but again, it's really important to focus on not the creation of learning deliverables you know, and not the counting of hours and the counting of number of people. What is the change we want to see happen? And, and then focusing on that and reporting on that, gathering the metrics on is the change occurring? Every time we do that, we, we get a lot of engagement with the business. Now, we don't, you know, I'll say it's saint Gobain. We don't do that well universally everywhere. We have some countries that do it really well, like Brazil. We have some parts of our, of our you know, corporate Sangabay University that do it uh, better than others. Um, but 
what is very clear now is, is that everybody in Saint-Gobain University is recognizing and, and is behaving that way, that, that everything has to become a conversation around what is the behavioral change that we are trying to achieve? What is the, the outcome we are trying to achieve? How will we measure it? What's our baseline today? And how will we measure, how will we know whether we've improved on it? And then we step back from that and identify, well, what are the things that we can do to make that happen? And as I said, said, the the solution is not building a learning program. It could be something as simple as Teams collaboration space. I'll tell you a story that I, when I first came into L&D, like 2011 was when I heard this. In fact, I might've still been even in IT at the time. And it was about a, a big supermarket chain here in France who was, they knew that the way within the, the fish counter, where they sell fish in the supermarket, that the layout, the display of the fish counter, the quality of that display had a big impact on sales. And every week they would rank all of their stores based on sales from the fish counter, you know, and they had their top 10. But they had, you know, they had a huge disparity between the top 10 and the bottom 10 and everybody in the middle. And they wanted to improve it. Now, typical L&D organization would have said, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll train everybody to do exactly what the leaders are doing and make that a requirement. And, you know, we would have sort of fixed in stone this one thing and it would have been imposed on people. And what they did, and it would have taken us a year to build it. And what they did was much uh, smarter. They created a social platform and they encouraged the, the, the store, the, the, the counter managers every week to share a photo of, or video of their countertop. And now when they had the, you know, they had the listing from the top to the bottom, people could click and see, well, what was the layout of the counter like? It took them a few weeks to put this in place. Everybody bought into it, which was one of their concerns was would, would people, you know, not want to share, but they were, they were very pleased that they were being recognized for what they were doing. And they significantly raised the, the, the performance across the board. So it was not a training fix. It would, you know, an intelligent way of getting people to share information and to raise a bar and to do it in such a way where it was also, you know, it changed over time. It was flexible. It could accommodate changes in what works during the winter versus the summer. That story really left a mark on me about how we think about building, you know, creating change in our organizations. My second guest on today's podcast is Thomas S. Mittendorf the Director of Sales Enablement Training in the Learning and Development Team with Kenogs. She is a seasoned sales enablement specialist and I'm sure all of us have a lot to learn from her. She began by talking about her role at Kenogs. Well, just a little bit about myself. I've been with Kellogg's for a little over 30 years and I lead the sales learning and development team. I've had a wonderful opportunity to work and a number of our uh, divisions within the Kellan company. So just supply chain, our customer financial services group, HR, corporate communications. I went out and did uh, some work in our retail sales organization. So it's been an awesome journey. And I'm really able, with all this functional knowledge, to take in uh, the company a little more holistically and be able to add value and really help to solve some business problems. So it's been an awesome journey. And, you know, I'm, I'm really proud to work for the Kellogg Company. We have amazing brands. And even better than that, we have amazing people that work for the company. And so 
I have the opportunity to, to work across the organization each and every day, and I absolutely love it. She then opens up about the biggest challenges that she had to face with her consumers, her clients, the salespeople, and then their clients. So immediately, we turned everything to virtual, obviously, like the whole industry did, right? Um, we actually did that within 24 hours. We had a category management onboarding session that was taking place. And, and my team literally um, changed it all overnight to be virtual. So wow. you think back about just all of those things, what we, you know, we looked at new technology, implemented new technology to make things just run smoother and be more engaging. And we ventured out and implemented virtual reality which is awesome in itself. And so we just had the opportunity to look at things in a different lens. And I'm really fortunate that my team has, has the courage to be able to do this and yeah. implement things, right? Following up on the discussion, she then also talks about the obstacles and constraints which she had to face along the way. You know, we were traditional gamers, we didn't have a heavily instructional design in doing something yeah. like that. But, you know, we were able to, to work with vendors and leaders in the industry that really, you know, helped us through the process. And, you know, we call it, hey, let's sail forward and let's learn as we go. And it's okay to do that, right? Yeah. We always, after every session, anything we do, we always say what worked well and what could be even better if. And so we go into that with that mindset of we're 90% and go. So we did that with virtual reality. We really broke out to be able to take on new technology, but it's so immersive and it's just an awesome different way to learn. And when you have kind of the burnout of all the, the PowerPoints and the Zoom meetings and things like that, you know, it's, it's a great technology to turn to. So you've got to be able to think through, you know, all of the things that are out there, educate yourself and make sure that you take advantage, even if it's not going to be perfect. She then talks about VR and gives us an example of how they have used virtual reality at work. I mean, think about it. You're in a safe environment. So Think about if you're a new sales rep that's starting with a Kellogg company, instead of just putting you right out in the retail store and in that environment, you've got this immersive technology that you can leverage and we can help coach you through. We have a nine-step scorecard process that you learn and you can be in the store virtually. You're walking through the aisle for the store. You're picking up. The frosted flake box, you're turning it around, you're able to, to do things. It's just such an awesome environment to actually be in because it's simulated just like the grocery store. And so it's just an awesome way to be able to learn. And then we can coach, you know, through the, the technology. And it's, it's just a really neat, safe environment for people that actually try things, for people to help overcome challenges that they might have or obstacles with store manager, say, for instance. So it's a fascinating way to be able to learn. We were very fascinated with her thoughts, and that led us to ask her to share some of her proudest achievements with us. I've got really three things that I'm super proud about. Let me no, hear. The first thing is implementing our sales learning and development value proposition. 
And so it all starts with your strategy. It's got to be aligned to the company strategy, to the sales strategy. And it's all about, you know, developing people. And it's the what and the how we do things. And so you've got to have that strategic kind of thought leadership there to make sure that you've developed the right path. And so, you know, the how we do things is really to activate that intentional learner mindset because we want each and every employee to learn, grow, and thrive. So that's our mantra is our value position of what we're bringing and we build everything from it. And then, so that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is that we have just an outstanding leadership with our executive leadership. And, you know, they're behind and support everything that we do. They're so in tune with, you know, the culture and making sure that each and every employee can learn, grow, and thrive. And I think that's so important. So I feel like I've got a seat at the table. And, you know, I I have this support of leaders behind us, which is super important. And then then the third thing that I'm super proud of is just, like I said, my team. I'm so incredibly proud of the team and the fact that they have taken and got the courage to sail forward because it's so important, right? You've got to trust each other. And and in times like this, you've got to have agility to be able to quickly pivot and do things. And so I'm just extremely proud of them. Lastly, she discusses the shift that has taken place in the L&D space and how she thinks the curve will change in the future. Yeah, there's, there's a big shift going on and you've got to really stay in tune with what's going on in the industry, be able to look forward, understand all this explosive technology that you can take advantage yeah. of with this you know, digital transformation that we're in. But I think the important thing is, is to have a roadmap. So we had a roadmap over the last few years, and it isn't the flavor in the month training um, or anything like that. It's a well thought out journey that our sales force can go through. And it's, you know, making sure that you know what knowledge, skills, and abilities that you need to really make sure that you're upskilling. And so I think you know, just being on this journey and making sure that you're developing in the right areas is imperative because things like revenue growth management, being able to have an omni lens, it's not just about brick and mortar. It's also about, you know, all the online understanding retail, you know, digital media and things like that. There's a lot to continue to learn and focus on, but you've got to make sure that you're building the right skills along the way. I think it's just continued education around revenue growth management. The dollar has to go further, right? With all the inflation pressures and things like that. We've got to continue to be smarter and find different ways to to do things. And so being able to have that financial acumen will continue to be super important as we move forward. And then I really believe, you know, being able to have that honorable channel leadership will be another area of importance. So it's continuing to just focus in on those really skill building areas. Thank you all for joining us on this enlightening journey of understanding the true potential of people analytics and learning analytics to enhance corporate decision making. 
Stay tuned as we bring you fresh perspectives and episodes filled with insightful conversations every week on the Digital Adoption Show. We are thrilled to announce that our podcast is now live on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and much more. We greatly appreciate your support and encourage you to leave a review, comment, or a rating to help us continue delivering valuable content. If you have any questions on the topic, feel free to ask in the comment section below.